do, I actually do love those moments where it's a little mistake is made because it just releases something, doesn't it? It does. I swear I heard the angel singing and then I realised it was actually my voice. Um, <laughs> that, you know that's not true, don't you? Uh, quite a bit going on in the lead up to Christmas, lots of dates, I re- I re- there was already one that was wrong on that slide and we will correct it, but Waterworks is this Friday, we're actually going to say if you're taller, your kid is taller than 120 centimetres, which means you're allowed to go to Manly Waterworks, come along this Friday night, because we've, we've got to get enough tickets otherwise we're out of pocket. So we would love just all the families, with, if your kid's over 120 centimetres, come along. That's a good, re- yeah, okay. Um, what else? What else? It is nice to be here. Wasn't the 10th anniversary celebration great? Um, such a, a good time for us as a church just to take stock of all the good things that have happened in the last 10 years and to dream a little bit about what's to come in the future. So I hope you're excited and it was just nice to get a bit of a sense of the scope of the church, wasn't it? Um, I mean, that was still only about half of us, but it was, it was just great to have so many of us in one room and worshipping together. Um, Victoria's sermon on Sabbath and rest, so good last week. Isn't she wonderful? And um, then we had Derek Ravello, the blind Brazilian surfer, last Sunday night. And he was just outstanding. This place erupted. Um, there wasn't a spare chair and the worship was going off. So, just so many nice things happening here at Manly Life. Alright, I want to talk today about our posture towards the world as Christians. Uh, As sinners saved by grace, how do we posture ourselves towards the world? As a slave trader turned hymn writer John Newton said, Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. Amen. Or as the Apostle Paul says, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So what's our posture towards the world? Uh, with that as our confession of faith. You know, sinners saved by grace. Most of you are probably happily oblivious to the fact that our own denomination is going through a difficult time at the moment. Um, Tricky times as it works out its position on marriage and human sexuality. And um, it's a difficult time for our group of 350 churches across New South Wales. But as I observe, often a bit from the sidelines, it's often a debate between grace and truth. Um, Now that's of course a phrase that comes from John chapter 1, where it says Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Uh, We see that in action in stories like the woman caught in adultery, which we're going to come to a bit at the end. But after moving her accusers on by saying, you without sin may cast the first stone... That's truth. That's a pretty good truth bomb. Jesus then says, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. And then he says, now go and leave your life of sin. That's truth. So as we approach difficult, ethical and pastoral issues, particularly where our culture has moved so rapidly in one direction, uh, what I see is often there's this tendency to be either full on for grace 
or to be full on for truth. Now I'm generalizing here. Grace churches in their earnest following of Jesus, wanting to make sure that everyone is welcome and that there is no condemnation. And that's a great thing. And then truth churches, in the earnest following of Jesus, wanting to make sure that we cling to the truth of scriptures and encourage people to leave their lives of sin. And the trickiest thing, of course, is trying to hold, like Jesus did, grace and truth together. And there's a reason that Jesus is our Saviour and Messiah. Because He alone is the one who can do that perfectly. But what we're doing, stumbling, hopefully faithfully, we're trying to do our best as a church that is defined by grace and truth. That everyone is welcome. Right? There is a seat at the table, including wretched sinners like, like me, right? I love, I love pointing the finger. It always lands on someone who needs it to land on, don't you think? <laughs> Nate's, no, no. <laughs> But also believing that we, you know, we believe in sound doctrine. We believe in truth. Uh, as delivered through the Gospels, by the Apostles, and in the Scriptures. As Victoria often says, Jesus loves you just as you are, Tim. And He loves you so much that He doesn't want to leave you there. <laughs> and none of it's easy, right? Because we're dealing with real people. Real lives. Real desires. So how do we become a people like Jesus, who sinners and outcasts ran away from? No, sinners and outcasts ran towards Jesus, didn't they? And yet he's also the one who in the Sermon on the Mount says things like, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to read from Romans 3 in the message version. And I brought my big Bible because it's a big message. So if you've got the message version of the Bible, turn to that, otherwise have the NIV, and you'll still be able to follow along. Romans 3, thinking about our posture towards the world. Verse 9. So where does that put us? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? Not really. Basically all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. It says there's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn, they've wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right, I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping graves, their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and pollute the air. The race is on for the honour of sinner of the year. They litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. They don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. Verse 21. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in Him. For there's no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, 
and prove that we're utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us. God did it for us. And so out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. It's a pure gift. He got us out of the mess that we're in and he restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I want to read from Romans today because it's a remarkable letter that Paul wrote to the first believers in the city of Rome. So about 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, he writes this letter and in it he presents the good news of the gospel. It's been said it's his theological calling card before he's going to visit Rome and then he wants to launch his missionary work over into Spain. And there's nothing that we wrestle with in our faith that I believe Paul doesn't really address in this masterpiece of a letter. Now in the ancient world we don't find the word gospel very often. Uh, It's just the Greek word for good news. And the main time it was used was when a new emperor came to power. Now whether or not that was actually good news is another question. But the gospel, the good news of a new lord to rule the land, was sent out to the cities and villages. It pronounced that Caesar is your lord. And you didn't have a real choice but to bow your knee. So this is a subversive letter. The good news that Paul is not ashamed to proclaim, that Paul now writes about, is that a new lord has emerged from Israel. And he's one, unlike Caesar in Rome, who is creating a new humanity and is voluntary out of Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, male and females, and they're all coming to the same table. And the confession was Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's Lord because although he was crucified, he is now risen from the dead. And that news exploded onto the ancient world. And in Rome, where Caesar alone was Lord, he didn't take kindly to rivals. Uh, that's why you end up having about 300 years of intense persecution of the Christians. Now hopefully that gives you a bit of an insight into why Christians were persecuted and seen as foolish. But this revolution could not be snuffed out. Not by sword and not by decree. And the reason was simple. Jesus Christ as Lord was not just something to learn about. It was something to experience. So along the trade routes, home to home, in the marketplace, this good news began to be shared about this risen, crucified Saviour. He was the servant king who laid down his life on a cross, who'd now risen from the dead and filled his followers with the Holy Spirit. And so remarkable things began to occur. People began to share their possessions. They began to look after the poor. People were set free. They were healed from all kinds of bondage and sickness. And the Christians who were under a new law, they used to go rescue abandoned babies on the trash heaps of the major cities. And they'd bring these babies that were not wanted, that were being exposed to the sun to die. And they'd bring them into their own homes and they would raise these children as their own. And it was a time when death was such a daily reality. You could see it on the streets. And so the Christian hope of resurrection and new life meant so much. 
And the good news of Jesus being Lord was an invitation to become a child of God. It is a free gift. And the expectation was that with His Spirit now living in you, you could live transformed lives. The starting place is undeserved grace. That's what I love about Eugene Peterson's translation. He just articulates it so well. He says it's a free gift. And you can begin to live in the light of that truth. And the way is to repent and confess that Jesus is Lord. So Romans 2.4, Paul says, Don't you know that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message version, God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into a radical life change. In other words, what you're going to experience is grace and you're going to experience truth. Amen? So in order to receive this radical life change of following Jesus as Lord, what we're called to do is to turn from one way of living and to be rescued into this whole new life. So Paul in Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's good news. It's good news to people in need of rescuing. And so what Paul lays out in Romans is what do we need rescuing from? So sometimes to get to the good news, we need the truth. The truth about the state of our lives and a healthy dose about what the condition of our souls and heart really is. So I'd say there's broadly three things that Paul goes after in order to get to the good news. Three things that diminish our humanity as image bearers of the living God. Now remember, Paul addresses these things not to condemn us, but to get us to the place where when we hear the good news, we can receive it. So, Paul starts with idolatry. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than their creator. Now, idolatry in the ancient world looked like actually worshipping little statues and icons. Right? I think idolatry in our world can look a little bit different. But don't we just worship things like career and wealth and possessions above God in the hope that they will satisfy us and give us security. The New York pastor, author Tim Keller says, an idol is usually a good thing that we make ultimate. We say, unless I have that, I am nothing. I think the Northern Beaches is full of idolatry. So then Paul goes after two more. He wants us to see that we're all in the same boat when it comes to needing rescue. So let's look at them. The next is a judgmental, a judgmental attitude. Now this is whereby you think that because you know the truth about God, that makes you better than everyone else. And this is something that Christians always have to be aware of. Romans 2.1 You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who do judgment do the same things. Romans 2, 21-22 You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you not commit adultery? Paul goes on and on. Remember a couple of years ago, uh, you may have remembered hearing about a website called Ashley Madison. Do you remember this? Where married people 
could organise to have an affair online. Uh, Mind-boggling. <laughs> but apparently a very popular website. Well, someone hacked the website and they released the details of millions of users around the world. And one of the names that was most troubling to come out as cheating on his wife was a reality TV star in the US who made a name for himself as a Christian moral crusader. We see this time and time again in life, don't we? Those who judge and exude self-righteousness are the ones often tainted in secret sin themselves. Sin has a way of being exposed. And it always comes to light, no matter how much we try and hide it. So it's a great warning. Beware thinking you are good with God because you are better than everyone else. Because we've all sinned and we all fall short. And I think this is good on a regular basis as Christians that we stop and we check our hearts. You know, where, where am I in a place of judgment over someone else? Where am I condemning others for the very things that I can be guilty of? Okay, then after addressing a judgmental mentality, Paul then goes after the final thing. He says that therefore no one is with excuse. Because doing the right thing should be obvious, but no one can really do it. Romans 3, 9 to 12. He says, basically all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start in identical condition, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There is nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. Now that's not a very popular thing to conclude in a society like ours, right? Particularly in the marketplace of ideas. You know, to claim that the, the, the starting point of humanity is that we are all under the power of sin. But Paul says that is the human condition. And we see this in the world around us all the time, don't we? Of course, we see it in our own lives all the time. You know, the biggest issue in my marriage with Victoria is my selfishness, right? And how often is it that even the people we love the most, we can be the most selfish with? So where does that lead us? Well, Paul says, we're all in the same boat. We all need rescuing. 20 years ago when I was living in Kenya, I remember a friend telling me a story about them as children swimming in the local river. And sometimes after a heavy rain, one of the smaller children would go out and the current would be too strong and that child would find themselves in trouble and be ending up kind of getting swept down the river. And my friend's experience was that you would not go out to rescue the struggling swimmer too soon. If you went out early, the kid would still be struggling and trying to save themselves. And in the process of the rescue, they could often take you down as you brought them into their arms. And the key was to wait till the kid was on the verge of drowning. And then the strongest swimmer could go out and complete the rescue. It was only when the kid couldn't save himself that you would enter in. And then the helpless swimmer would fall into the arms of the rescuer and be brought ashore. Don't we find ourselves in the same place? 
trying desperately to secure ourselves, desperately to rescue ourselves, definitely to self-justify that we don't need any help, only to eventually fall into the arms of God. Remember, it is God's kindness that can then be revealed leading to our repentance. Those of us who put our faith and our hope for security in idols, the self-righteous who think they're better than everyone else, the rest of us who really should know better but still stuff up, we're all in the same boat. As I mentioned at the start, I think the best example of truth and grace in Jesus is found in John 8 and the story of the woman caught in adultery. She's dragged before Jesus. Imagine the feeling of fear and shame that would have swept over her. She probably felt similar to a number of those users from Ashley Madison. She'd been caught. I know it's popular for preachers to say, where was the bloke? Guys, the reality is the bloke had probably already been stoned to death. But picture the scene, Jesus the wandering teacher and healer, the condemning crowds, the fearful woman, the baffled disciples. And for those who know the story, it wouldn't have been amazing to be in that scene and to have known as Jesus kind of knelt down and he wrote in the dust. Wouldn't it be amazing to know what he wrote? And then he says, you without sin cast the first stone. It says the older leave first and before you know it, everyone's gone. And there standing before Jesus is this woman caught in her shame. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin. Not only did the life of those who were there get changed, but I believe in that actually one story, the entire world gets changed. Grace and truth took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. But we all discover that we're in the same boat in need of rescuing. Jesus is ready to extend his grace. Romans 3, 22-24. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record of sinners, both us and them, and proved that we're utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he puts us in right standing with himself. It's a pure gift. He gets us out of this mess that we're in and he restores us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. Tim, why are you a Christian? Well, the answer is Jesus. Why do I believe in grace? Well, the answer is Jesus. Why do I believe in sound doctrine and truth? The answer is Jesus. Tim, why do you hang out with sinners in Manly? The answer is Jesus. Tim, why don't you just move with the times? The answer is Jesus. Tim, you are leaning too far into grace without truth. Tim, you are leaning too far into truth without grace. Well, the answer is I ain't Jesus. But I'm trying to listen to his spirit that lives in me. I'm trying to work out with complex issues in difficult times what grace and truth looks like. One final implication for us, for all of us. Can I suggest that the people of God should look and smell and sound like something? 
Not the condemning, angry mob that wanted this woman's blood. You know, we don't hear in the Gospels about the condemning man or the adulterous woman again. I'd love the follow-up stories. Where's the follow-up stories in the Gospels? But I've got some guesses about their lives. At least the ones who got the lesson and the Gospel got a hold of their lives. For the men, I imagine they became a little more humble. A little bit slower to condemn. For the woman, I imagine she was grateful that someone had rescued her at this greatest moment of shame. But I also imagine she started a whole new life as a disciple of Jesus, where she stopped sinning and became a follower of the way, the truth, and the life. And doesn't all of this then change our posture towards the world? The adulterers, the judgmental, the serial sinners were actually all in the same boat. And so shaped by the one who came in grace and truth, we too try and posture our hearts and lives, our attitudes and our words to be like this. Because that is who we are as a church, as the people of God. We're not always going to get it right, but I hope we try that ultimately we will smell and sound and look like Jesus hoping that extravagant grace and unchanging truth that will lead to a radical life change that only the gospel can bring. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Come on. Pure gift of God's great love for us.